0: So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week, to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give Singlehood a cape. All right, here's where I want to start because there are so many ways we can go from what I'm about to say. You ready? Yes. All right. Two guys coming down the mountaintop of Idlewild, micro dosing on mushrooms as one of them talks about how he sold drugs, had sex with strippers, and we were on our way to the hardware store to buy a teapot. That's where I want to start.
1: I love it. This is like the Mad Lib version of a podcast. Um, first of all first of all, let me just say that the drug dealing was a long time ago, along with the fucking of the strippers. So Sophie, please, uh, I know you know all these stories, but take this with a grain of salt. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually interesting. Somebody taking the, uh, I'll go on the mushroom slant first, because I don't really know what to say about the teapot. But somebody asked me, obviously, um, I do a lot of addiction work. That's kind of where I, I center a lot of my work. And over the last I'll say six to seven years, I've gotten more involved in what's known as psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, which is a a fringe part of the therapeutic community for sure. And somebody specifically asked me this question on a podcast and interview recently, which was, do you feel like there's a real conflict there between using substances like psilocybin or MDMA for trauma or ketamine and doing work with people who are addicted to drugs. And I think I can give the best answer, not only from the research side of things, which I've been... Wow, all right, that was loud. That was you at 22. It was, yeah. With uh, a gun
0: under your seat. It actually was me at 22. cash in your back pocket. (laughs) Um, That was a black Camaro that was going like 120 just past us.
1: Yeah, it was that that guy. That guy was in a hurry. Um, So i have seen and have been part of hundreds of people using psilocybin not only in a professional setting but also when i was drug dealing so 22 years ago when i was selling drugs i would get psilocybin mushrooms but i would get them in large black hefty bags like you know those whatever 10 15 gallon bags that you would put in your trash whatever 50 gallon the massive massive ones uh and i would buy four or five of those at a time so a lot of experience with mushrooms I've never met a single human being addicted to psilocybin. So that's one of the reasons why I feel pretty safe with it as a medication. And the other piece for me is just about a tool to help. So, you know, John, you and I, we help people who really struggle in life and we seem to have no problem giving people antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, but when we get into these drugs like psilocybin, people freak out. And so we, uh, part of the reason we did-
0: Well, well, they freak out because it's all new. And it's kind of uh, the wild, wild west right
1: now, right? Yeah, and I think it's new for Western civilization. It's not yes. new. It's
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Thousands of years in traditional cultures, but we get really, really scared of that stuff. So we did some psilocybin mushrooms. You barely even felt it yesterday. Yeah, I barely felt it. We uh, microdosed. Yeah, yeah, we we microdosed a little bit. But for me, psilocybin mushrooms, and this is what the research shows: they, um, at full dose at least, they they help people overcome depression. They help people sort out really existential problems. And you know whether we like it or not we were talking about this we live a very um privileged life right we got to take time off work essentially and do a working vacation in the mountains Um, people deal with a lot of stress a lot of anxieties and i see these medications really helping whether
0: you need a tea pot kettle or not (laughs) well okay so uh you went through the uh, door of uh psilocybin which i think is great we should talk about this for your uh choose your own adventure i was thinking so there are so many elements here. When you, when when you, two dudes going down the mountain. First of all, to me, oh fuck! Oh, yeah, two is, two, yeah, it's two dudes cool. going down the mountain. First of all, to me is, uh, you know, we're in our forties. I'm almost fifty. You, you just stop at forties. Yeah, so. okay, we're in our forties, and um, there's there's so many topics here. One, making an effort to um, invest in friendships, right? Especially so, a D and I both have children. We have families. His family is bigger than mine. He's got many kids. We both have our own businesses. So to carve out time for um, guy friends is uh, it's rare, right? And also it's something that, that you struggle with, no?
1: Yeah, we were talking about this a lot over the weekend. This was the first guy's trip. No, the second guy's trip I've taken in a decade and wow in 10 years 10 years and the last one was last year
0: yeah so you work from home you work out alone you do a lot of zoom stuff i mean you do stuff where you're helping other people but as far as like social connection or guy friends i mean you also you and sophie you guys are very social with friends but as far as kind of like um guy friend stuff that that that's not a common in your life and also what's the effect of that
1: yeah um so not just guy friends, friends in general, but we can talk about why the, I used to have a lot of women friends and that kind of ended in my relationship with Sophie a while ago for specific reasons. But yeah, I grew up around my mom and my sister, kind of men always felt, I, I think I when I was younger, I felt intimidated, so I never really created a lot of long-term uh, male relationships. Even by the way, all my all the sports I did my whole life, I was a swimmer, I was a tennis player, Uh, and so all the sports were single sports. Like I was, it was up to me and me alone, no team, no team sports when I was growing up at all. So there's definitely a cost. Uh, I think I would say one of the biggest costs, unfortunately, especially as somebody who is in the helping space. And I tell this to people all the time, I, I live, I think we all do, but I live a very, um, self-perspective life. If that's a, if that's a term, right? I see everything through my own eyes and I interpret it through my own lens and I think you can get trapped in that really, really easily. So one of my favorite parts was not working. I mean, we did a working vacation, but my favorite part of not working were where we, you and I were just shooting the shit, talking about stuff, because I get to see the world through somebody else's eyes. And I think that's really, really important. And that is the thing that I miss the most probably about not doing this enough.
0: Also, you did many squats, cause you're with me. I did a lot of squats, glutes <laughs> are hurting. Yes uh i think as we get older this is important and um this is one of the reasons why i invited a d with me up here is um not only because i'm afraid of ghosts and i didn't want to sleep by myself but uh i wanted to have some time with another dude have some conversation and i gotta say you know there's something you get from your guy friends or if you're a female your 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 girlfriends that you just don't from your partner and uh yeah I, I and i think it's it's important it should be threaded into your life okay the other layer here is uh going to get a teapot and one of the things that um one of the things that Adi and i uh were talking about and i got to give us both points for this because uh i think it's rare we were t- talking about um labor in um the domesticated life mm. and uh us picking <laughs> picking up a teapot it kind of reminds me of uh household chores and how that giant rock is being turned over and there's a conversation where it's been unfair that um women basically do everything in the house yeah i before I even start the
1: the next part of this, I wanna give my wife props because actually you know this, John. But right so we had planned this, you know, John reached out to me like about a week ago or something and said, Hey, can you do this? And I loved it. Sophie, my wife, was all about it, you know, loves this relationship, loves that we hang out. So then my kids got sick like two days before we went on the trip, and my oldest had a really bad fever two days before, and it, I kind of started questioning the ability to go on this because I felt like I was going to leave my wife alone at home with the sick kids. But my wife, to her credit, knowing how much this is important for me to have kind of gave me her blessing to go. And yet throughout the experience, I still feel this um, this pull knowing that she's left alone at home. But this conversation about the imbalance, the way Sophie talks about it is, is this, and I think it's really fair. She says, look, before we had kids, we didn't sit down and make an agreement that I'm gonna be responsible for everything. Right. We do everything else half and half, right? Like uh, buying groceries or picking restaurants, or whatever. Like we do we do most of the other rest of life, half and half or so. Why is it that when it comes to going to the kid's school or making sure that they have what they need for breakfast, not actually breakfast, I do, my mom, but like for their lunches or all these things, arranging oh, she, babysitting, laundry, dishes. Laundry, dishes Why is it that it falls on me, arranging for a house cleaning, whatever? Uh, And that's been a very fair and yet difficult conversation to have over time. So I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, John, but I've been picking up more. But you mentioned something really smart from the book Fair Play, right? Um, Which is, it's not, yes, some of it is about the actual doing of the things. Like I do more dishes and I make all the breakfast and the food in the house pretty much. But it's the emotional and psychological load of doing the planning over and over and over that is really... I mean, I would say 80% or if not 90% on women with kids.
0: I'm paraphrasing here, but, uh, and by the way, if you wanna listen to uh, Eve Rodsky, who wrote the book Fair Play, um, you get just dig and search in uh, my podcast collection. But she says, what if you approached your home life like you would your business life? And I don't think we do that because, I mean, I grew up with old school Korean parents where, My dad would be yelling to my mom to get him a glass of water and she would she would do it and my dad did no dishes my my dad did no laundry my dad did nothing I was taught nothing and so by the time I was you know 29 I got married I didn't even know how to make my bed you know and so yes today uh, a lot of the conversations that Vanessa and I have been um, having recently was um, what does it look like the distribution of domestic labor where pe- people feel um where it's not lopsided you know and especially today where yeah women are building empires it's not fair and this is uh you know uh, a relationship that's we're talking about heteronormative that we're in right but but sure. but but any partner who um um is given or assumed to be more responsible for all the chores especially if you have children all that um, definitely affects the relationship and is something to look at. But here's what I'm proud of. And this is what I, what I began with, is when I was talking to D about this, a lot of guys would have been like, oh, yeah, fuck that. Um, I don't like what's happening. Men are turning into, you know, men are softening or we're losing our, stand, our stance or mojo or whatever. But A D actually took a beat and he's like, yeah, you know, there's actually there are some things that I can do more of. And uh, that's contagious. And that makes me look at my own um, stuff and taking ownership. And here's a great example of how men could actually sharpen each other.
1: You know, I've learned, I've worked with thousands of people by this point, And I just said this on a group I was leading last night. The younger version of me maybe as old as 29, but definitely up until 26, 27. And so for sure, and we can talk, like I went to, I went to jail in the middle of all that. I had a lot, of, a lot of experiences that taught me that life may not exactly look the way I, I had believed that it would. And the perspective that it gave me over anything else is, if, if I'm to be successful in this life, whatever that might mean for me, there's a lot left for me to learn and understand. And that's very different than the old version of me that believed that I knew everything internally that I needed to and I just needed to make sure everybody understood my rules were the right ones and have them follow those and that might sound like uh, well I probably was pretty narcissistic at, at those at that age I just kind of thought that you know it was my way or the highway all around and you know I grew up in a house my dad was never around up until pretty much the age I was 14 so I was raised by my mom and my sister like you John Uh, My mom did everything in the house. I mean, my dad couldn't even ask for a glass of water because he was literally not there. So he couldn't have asked for anything. I never saw him lift a finger around household chores. And so what's really interesting about this conversation is this is to me a perfect example of how knowing that something needs to change and seeing it at face value is not quite as meaningful as actually creating the change. And the reason Sophie and I keep having this conversation is even as I try to keep showing up and I, and I am, I believe, Sophie can chime in on this later in comments or something. But uh, even as I believe I'm showing up more, what you mentioned from the book that is really important is that cognitive load piece, mental load. the mental load piece. I'm not, I haven't been programmed to think from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to sleep about what the kids need or what is needed around the house. And that is the thing that's taken the most effort you know, we just had this discussion a couple of days ago. Sophie was, before I left, Sophie was saying, you know, our kids um, were sick and so they stayed home from school. And she was the one worried about what they were going to do all day because 80% of my day stayed the same. And that's where I still have a really hard time if I'm admitting it. But look, overall, especially around relationships, I believe I'm trying to show up better, better for myself, better for my kids, better for my wife. And so, there are going to be a lot of blind spots. The scariest thing about blind spots is that you don't know you have them, right? And so I need that information and I need other people, which is another one of the reasons why you want to hang out with other men, other women, other people. They feed you perspectives that can help make your life better.
0: Yeah, it's something that I realized as well. And um, I was going to say, this is a generalization, but from my experience of clients and friends, people who are in a heteronormative relationship generally men are wanting more sex and intimacy and um, for women a lot of them are touched out and exhausted and it's because of this thing so if you're listening to this and you're like fuck I ain't doing the dishes or I ain't gonna do anything extra well then good luck having more sex because when 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 you are mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted, or, uh, you have, you know, babies crawling, uh, uh, trying to, you know, grab, grab your arm and stuff the entire day, the last thing you're going to want to do is to be intimate with your partner. So yeah, it is a problem. And I think it's a conversation. I'm glad that, uh, a D and I, uh, as, uh, I was gonna say as husband's, although I'm not married, but you know, it's, um, dads and, and husbands, partners that we are, um, creating this conversation. And if it brings something up in you, we just challenge you to uh, take a look at it see, um, see what comes up with, with this. So this is the teapot place, right? That's a teapot thing. And then I guess the last, um, what other can we dig from that opening sentence? Is that it? So
1: I'm gonna connect that to, oh, the, to the drug dealing and sex oh, and stripper shit. part.
0: Take it home!
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned that I went to jail. Um, anybody who's listened to anything I, I do or uh, I've written or whatever knows that part. I spent a year in jail because I became a drug dealer in my, I would say, about 1920s when that really started happening in a, in a real heavy way. But by the time I was 25, 26, it was the quintessential, you know, driving a navigator, uh, gun under the seat kind of drug dealing world. And, you know, for lack of a better term, as we were first talking about you, were kind of like, you know, open mouth, slack jaw, like, wait, what the hell? The place that a lot of people go to when they hear that story is of course the movie version which is all the fun and all the sex and all the parties and all the drugs and i have to say there was definitely that part of it but what i love about what you talked there uh in the end about john we get in life what we put into it and as our needs and our circumstances change what we have to put into life in order to get what we want out of it changes because the people around change. And so I think, you know, you mentioned for all the men who are bitching and complaining that they're not having enough sex, but they're not actually helping their partner feel held, understood, and not touched out or not um, overburdened, and then still expecting to get what they want. What you're missing is that, and I'm not talking in a quid pro quo kind of way, I'm not talking in, hey, I did the dishes, I deserve to have oral sex, like not that directly, but I'm saying, I, I help you and I take care of the needs in the house in general. I care for you and you will care for me in all the ways that that seems like. That's an implicit exchange. And in a funny way, living that life as a drug dealer was really the same kind of thing. And so I think we mentioned this before. I was kind of an awkward high school kid. Um, didn't really, you know, I was kind of a, the nerdy drug user group. If you had one of those in your high school, you may you may know people like uh, like the people I was, right? Like sunglasses in school. Didn't really want to talk to anybody, but then just do a bunch of drugs after school. But when I so- started selling drugs, the reason was I felt like I didn't fit in. But if you had drugs and money, people treated you like you fit in, whether they liked you or not. And so, what I gave other people was a good time. I could give them their drugs they gave me money. Um, the girls, I did it at the time, wanted one or the other, they either were into the drugs or into the money. And so there was an exchange and it was never an explicit exchange. I never said to somebody, Hey, uh, you and I hook up, therefore here are drugs, but we would all party together and became kind of part of the scene. And so, you know, that fit my life when I was 22 years old, part of it were fun. Part of it was terrifying. That's why I had a gun. But now as an adult, the same thing happens. And whether it's investing time in your friendships, because they're meaningful and they provide um, perspective and calm and allow you to get grounded and center in your everyday life or taking care of the needs in your relationship because that's your home. Psychologically, emotionally, physically, that is your home. And if you don't take care of it, it's going to lose its shine. It's going to, you know, it's going to be neglected like a house that is neglected. I think it's important to really pay attention, at least internally, to what you bring to the equation And if any of us are bitching about not getting enough of what we want out of life, we should at least start with making sure we're investing enough in all elements of that life before we start looking at what other people can do to help us.
0: Yeah, it's a great note to end on. And I got to say that uh, this is what's really hard is you got to get to a place where you want to do it. You're not doing it for the blowjob, right? You're doing it because it defines who you are. You're doing it because you you want to create that kind of space. You're doing it to set an example. You're doing it because it's your definition of, you know, man. Or you're doing it because it's your values. Um, and so, by creating that space organically, um, other things line up, right? So, I think if many, if everyone um, decides to, you know, uh, all hands on deck, and here's what I want to do, not for you but for me, and it's gonna affect us, then there's no resentment. Then, you know, there's, it's just gonna ripple and everything's going to be, um, everything's just gonna be better. Your life is gonna be in color instead of uh, people trying to force or uh, having expectations and then other people having resentment because they're, they're doing things they don't wanna do. Amen to that. Yeah, so anyway, just to, a few reminders in this episode, starting with uh, friends. How important it is to spend some uh, time with friends. Uh, teapots. Teapots. Domestic labor imbalances. What else? And then we had, uh, something about drugs and something about drugs. And, yeah, and sex. yeah, drugs and sex and all of that. Thank you for listening. You can find a D, Jaffe at. Uh, I have a
1: podcast, Ignited, uh, IGNTD, and then you can find me at IGNTD.com, ignited.com.
0: That's Dr. D. Jaffe. Hey, if I was a doctor, I would order everyone to call me doctor. <laughs> I don't know why you don't. All right. Thank you for listening to me. Well, I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere come back, if you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single On Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, Zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend.
2: I've been single for probably eight years. And by single, I mean I have had relationships in that time, but not serious long-term commitments. I was married for... 10 years before that, and that relationship was 15 years long, and I had three children. I think I've had quite a journey since then. At first, when I left my husband, I felt really exhausted by everything that that relationship entailed, and we we had two big families, and um, it, it was a very busy chaotic life and uh, I I just felt exhausted by it all and coping with the children when they were young and there, there were lots of other issues involved that I won't go into but I felt a great sense of relief and release from that relationship and I think from then on I was 40 at the time I went on a second teenage spree and I just went out and had lots of fun. (laughs) I remember going up to London every weekend almost and I used to stay in really lovely hotels and I would go out clubbing and go to cocktail bars and I was just having fun. I hadn't had fun like that independently on my own as an older woman. Yeah, I hadn't had any fun in my marriage. So I was really catching up on lost time, it felt like. And that was great for a few years. I did that for about two or three years. And then I had been using dating apps, and the dating scene was quite challenging, I'd say. But I think when you are having the mindset of it just being casual encounters and it being fun then it's absolutely fine. But the moment you switch that perspective towards trying to find a longer-term relationship, I didn't have as much success, to be honest, and I still don't. Um, I suppose because I'm someone that works for myself and because I'm a single parent, I don't have a great deal of time to dedicate towards interests that might bring me into contact with a like-minded person. So I have used dating apps. And I've had very <laughs> interesting experiences. I sometimes think of Samantha in Sex and Sex in the City. <laughs> and uh, equate myself to that kind of character sometimes. Because I often find I attract a lot of younger men who want the novelty of an older woman, or they're curious about an older woman, but quite honestly, it's because they don't want to have any commitment or they're not looking for anything serious. So I often get connected to those types of men, but it's not really what I'm interested in. Um, I suppose because also I'm intellectually or spiritually a very open and exploratory person, So I don't really fit any (laughs) mould because I am an older woman with children. I think people expect me to have a certain set of interests and beliefs, which isn't who I am at all. I'm a very open-minded Aquarian who likes to really investigate the world. And uh, I'm interested in all manner of things that, I think are quite eclectic. So I suppose with that in mind I haven't I haven't really found the perfect match and I think part of this why I have recorded this has it's been because it's been a personal journey of arriving at a place where actually our life shouldn't be a quest of trying to find the perfect match it should be about actually a quest towards finding myself and loving and enjoying myself and my own company because essentially it might be reality that I don't ever find anyone that is a perfect match and then I would be by myself and you have to come to terms with that and I think there was a time where I came to terms with it in a kind of a resigned bitter way before it I got to the place where I'm at now, where I actually really enjoy my own company. And it's almost gone to the other extreme as to where now I'm almost reluctant to meet someone because it would infringe on my own enjoyment of my life, which is a strange paradox. But there you go. That's my story of why I choose to be single at the moment. And be happy with it.